0: Hi everybody, this is Caitlin at Sampson12.com, and I'm here with Jim McAfee, a board-certified clinical nutritionist. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about vitamin C. So Jim, what happens if we do not get enough vitamin C?
1: Well, the classic deficiency disease associated with lack of vitamin C is scurvy, and it's a pretty horrible disease. If you're without vitamin C for 30 to 90 days, you're going to tend to develop scurvy, and we think of it as a disease in the past, but they've actually diagnosed some children on very poor diets as having scurvy. A lot of times the doctors don't recognize it anymore because they don't think it exists anymore. But basically, the early symptoms are hardening around the hair follicles, and the hair's uh, in those hair follicles become corks corkscrew shaped, and uh, also you'll tend to get what's called petechiae or bleeding uh, around the uh, the pores where the hair follicles are. As you get you progressed with more scurvy, you get old wounds opening up. So if someone has had a surgery, the uh, connective tissue that holds the surgery together will rupture, and bleeding will begin.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And if you read some of the accounts of scurvy in the, the history books, you read horrible things like I remember uh, one that I've never been able to forget where uh, a sailor thought something was stuck between his teeth and he reached in and pulled it out and he pulled out a tooth. <laughs> so uh, basically vitamin C is involved with your connective tissue and when you're deficient, your, the glue that holds you together falls apart.
0: Wow, so how did we learn that vitamin C was the cure for this very scary disease? I mean, everything's falling (laughs) apart in your body.
1: Well, scurvy has affected mankind for centuries and centuries, thousands of years. And the first uh, scientific experiment, controlled trial, that indicated that there was a, a nutritional connection with scurvy, was done May 20th of 1747 by a man named James Lind. He was a naval surgeon. And he took 12 men and he gave uh, broke them into groups of two each. And each group got a different common treatment or cure for scurvy. So one group got vitriol. Vitriol was a, a nasty thing. It was sulfuric acid with some herbs in it. That was the most popular treatment for scurvy. And all these these men had scurvy. Uh, The second treatment was vinegar. The third uh, group of men got herbs. The fourth group got seawater, which they thought might cure scurvy. The fifth group got cider, and the sixth group got citrus. And the uh, two men getting citrus recovered in six days. and they actually ran out of citrus but they were already cured by the time they ran out of citrus the only other treatment that appeared to have any benefit at all was the cider and that didn't work well enough that the sailors were able to go back to work those that got the citrus were able to go back to work after six days so he proved that citrus uh, lemons and limes uh, could be used to treat scurvy that was way back in 1747
0: so um, like the the herbs and the vinegar and the cider, they didn't really have the vitamin C in it, or
1: no, there's no uh, no vitamin C in any of those foods except there's a tiny amount of vitamin C in cider. Okay, but not a lot.
0: And it's not is it just lemons and limes or is it also oranges?
1: Oranges, lemons, limes, uh, lemons and uh, oranges are the highest
0: perfect okay just so that i'm aware i don't know <laughs> it really has the I,
1: yeah i th- i think uh they called uh limes uh, they called lemons limes in those days
0: yeah
1: and that's how the uh, the british navy came to be called limeys.
0: okay
1: <laughs> and uh it's kind of interesting if you study it historically because um it took the british admiralty like 50 years to adopt James Lynn's recommendations.
0: Fifty years after that experiment.
1: He did his experiment in 1747. It wasn't until 1795 that the British Admiralty started putting citrus on board their ships. And of course, there's a very significant historical event that took place prior to uh, 1795. That was in 1776 when the the United States rebelled against Great Britain. And uh, Britain had tremendous uh, military power in that day. And uh, they had the most powerful fleet in the world. The only problem was the scurvy was so bad, they would lose a third of their uh, crew on every uh, group that went out. And the longer they were at sea, the more scurvy uh, that developed. And so when the British fleet tried to uh, rescue Cornwallis at the Battle of Yorktown, uh, they couldn't do it because they were uh, under uh, undermanned, and they, the, the men could not operate the cannons when they were suffering with scurvy. Wow. So they lost America, but then uh, they implemented this change in 1795 and Napoleon came to power around 1800. And just that little twerk of being able to treat scurvy so increased the power of the British Navy they were able to blockade the entire continent of Europe and destroy Napoleon's Navy and prevent him from conquering Europe.
0: So vitamin C can influence wars. (laughs) If you study it,
1: yeah, many a battle has been altered by vitamin C.
0: So what
1: does vitamin C do? Vitamin C uh, has uh, a number of different beneficial effects on the body. Uh, Number one, it's an antioxidant. And uh, it's a unique antioxidant because it uh, bolsters glutathione, which is the body's primary antioxidant. Vitamin C has what's called the lowest redox potential of any antioxidant. What that means is that it can regenerate every other vitamin. So it can regenerate uh, flavonoids and vitamin E and glutathione and alpha-lipoic acid, all these different things. So when you supplement with vitamin C, it's not just that you're benefiting the vitamin C levels in the body, but you're benefiting all these other nutrients as well. But beyond that, vitamin C also is involved in the connective tissue, what we call collagen. And it's like the steel reinforcing rods that go through concrete that make it strong. Mm -hmm. So if you are deficient in vitamin C, your tissue is going to tend to be flabby and weak, and um, you'll get accelerated wrinkling and things like that. People that smoke heavily, they tend to wrinkle 20 years faster than people that don't. Every cigarette depletes about... uh, 20 to 50 milligrams of vitamin C from the body. Wow. And and the third thing that vitamin C does is it's a histamine scavenger. Histamine is the inflammatory compound that uh, creates a lot of um, discomfort when you have uh, allergies and things like that. And each molecule of vitamin C has the ability to neutralize one histamine molecule. So anyone that has inflammatory disorders... Uh, gets a double benefit from vitamin C, the antioxidant effect, but also the histamine scavenging or counteracting effect of the nutrient.
0: That, those are very powerful things that it does. And and going back to the collagen formation, one of the things that I've read is that it's important to put vitamin C on your face. And I've actually started just putting lemon juice on my face. I just take the lemon and squeeze it on my face and wash it off, and I think it's helping. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it's even more important to get it internally.
0: Probably. To get that collagen (laughs) form,
1: because putting it on the face is not going to upregulate the collagen formation as much.
0: Um, Why do humans have such a problem with vitamin C? Uh,
1: That's an interesting thing. Um, Human beings are kind of unique in the animal world in that they do not have the ability to synthesize their own vitamin C.
0: Really?
1: Uh, rats and cats and dogs and goats and cows, they all make vitamin C in their body. But human beings and uh, monkeys and apes and one species of fruit eating bat and the guinea pig do not have the ability to make their own vitamin C. So those are the only creatures that are prone to develop scurvy. Wow! And it wasn't actually until they, uh, they accidentally did research on nutrient diseases with guinea pigs that they discovered uh, that uh, vitamin C, uh, they discovered vitamin C and uh, the benefit that it could offer. Um, when they did work with rats, the scurvy never showed up. And that's why they call it vitamin C rather than vitamin A, because they were trying to find the cure for scurvy long before the cure for, you know, Uh, vitamin a or b1 or those other things but there was this impediment of the fact that so few creatures are susceptible to vitamin c deficiency
0: so when someone has a vitamin c deficiency and they go to the doctor uh wouldn't the doctor just prescribe vitamin c
1: you would think so and some doctors do Mm -hmm. but um vitamin c doesn't fit real well into a medical model because um When you have a profession, you're dependent on income, and vitamin C is uh, really inexpensive. And it also can be used uh, beneficially for a wide range of different health problems. So it doesn't really fit the profit model of uh, modern medicine. Uh, The profit model centers around things that you can patent. And you can't really patent uh, vitamins unless you do some... Uh, twerking them to make them a little different. That's been done with a couple of vitamins, but um, with vitamin C, uh, that just hasn't worked. Um, Well, uh, vitamin C actually was popularized by an industrial chemist named Irwin Stone. And he became interested in the vitamin and he started supplementing with it he was in a head-on collision going 80 miles an hour, wow. and he attributed his survival to the fact he was taking about 60, 50 to 60,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. He recovered from that accident in three months, Wow! and uh, he went on to uh, collect all of the research he could on vitamin C, and he published a, a classic book called Vitamin C, The Healing Factor Against Disease. That was the first book that looked at a broad spectrum of different health problems that could be benefited from vitamin C. Uh,
0: what role did Linus Pauling play in the vitamin C story?
1: Uh, Pauling was actually influenced by uh, Irwin Stone, and he came to the conclusion that vitamin C probably would help the common cold And later on the flu, when uh, Pauling wrote his uh, book, uh, he was actually in a lecture where he said that he felt that vitamin C could help the common cold. And there was another man in in the uh, lecture hall uh, named Victor Herbert, who was an anti-vitamin person. And he uh, viciously attacked Linus Pauling for suggesting that vitamin C could help the cold. So uh, Linus Pauling went through the medical literature and he wrote a book called Vitamin C and the Common Cold, which became a bestseller and dramatically increased the sales of vitamin C. And then uh, later on, he uh, wrote Vitamin C, the Common Cold, and the Flu, Mm -hmm. because he became convinced that vitamin C would benefit the uh, flu as well. And then later on... um, Pauling also teamed up with a doctor named Ewan Cameron who uh, used vitamin C for cancer, and they wanted to see what uh, the benefit would be of injecting patients with uh, vitamin C that had advanced cancer. What they found was that it uh, prolonged the life of the people with cancer. In rare instances, there were remissions. But... um, uh, it was slowing the growth of the cancer, and vitamin C appears to appears today to inhibit angiogenesis, the ability of the uh, cancer cells to recruit blood vessels to nourish themselves. Um,
0: so then, you're hoping that when the cancer patients are going through treatment, that their doctors are also giving them, hopefully, a similar medical grade vitamin C to the kind that you give me, like the buffered C, which has no aluminum, and it's it's the powder form of vitamin C.
1: Right. Yeah, and the thing about Pauling's work has been controversial ever since he wrote vitamin C and the common cold. And there have been studies done that supposedly demonstrate that vitamin C doesn't help the cold or the flu. <laughs> But there's certain defects with those studies. One of them is that they don't use the uh, dosages that Pauling recommended because he suggested 1,000 milligrams every hour to uh, treat the cold and the flu.
0: Can you overdose on the vitamin C?
1: Uh, You can uh, overdose. And what happens when you get too much vitamin C is a phenomenon called the ascorbate flush. Okay which means that you better have a toilet nearby. <laughs> because when you, over, you get too much vitamin C, it basically causes a, a good bout of diarrhea.
0: And um, how much is that overdose about?
1: Uh, it varies from individual to individual. Some people will get an ascorbate flesh at very low levels of vitamin C. And other people that have serious health problems, it's better tolerated the more you need it. So people can take, you know, many, many uh, uh, thousands of milligrams and not have a flesh.
0: Okay. So then, are there indications that vitamin C might be helpful in fighting the flu or or COVID-19?
1: I think there's some good evidence that uh, vitamin C certainly would be important nutrient There's a very interesting video that was done by 60 Minutes of New Zealand. It's called Living Proof. It's the story of a man named Alan Smith, and he uh, contracted H1N1 virus, wound up on a ventilator. They gave him one chance in a billion of survival. And the family asked the doctors if they would uh, give him injections of vitamin C. And the doctors thought about it and they concluded that the vitamin C was not likely to create harm. And he was very, not very likely to survive anyway. So they started giving him injections. And as soon as they gave him the injections of vitamin C, he started improving. And uh, he went on to completely recover from H1N1. That became a very controversial uh, video and the doctors maintained it. Probably wasn't the vitamin C that saved him.
0: Is a miracle. Is <laughs> <It's> a phenomenon? <laughs> he said it
1: could have been a bus going in front of the hospital that saved him. Oh wow! Uh, but uh, tied in with that, if uh, Andrew Saul has a website called DoctorYourself.com, and uh, on that website he talks about the fact that the Chinese sent 50 tons of vitamin C into Wuhan uh, in order to treat COVID-19. And the government of Shanghai, according to his website, has announced its official recommendation that COVID-19 should be treated with high amounts of intravenous vitamin C.
0: So on that note, are all vitamin Cs considered equal? Like if I just take an emergency off the shelf, is that as helpful as... um, uh, vitamin C that's extracted from or processed in a way that I know is safe without aluminum
1: and all that stuff? <clears throat> well, you want, a, you want a good vitamin C. Vitamin C exists in two forms there's um, an active form and uh, oxidized form. It's what we call reduced. The reduced vitamin C is the active form, and the oxidized is uh, uh, not as active or beneficial. So the supplements that we use, we want to make sure that they're in the reduced form. And also the way in which you put a vitamin C supplement together makes a big difference. For example, research shows that if you have vitamin C with flavonoids, uh, you tend to get higher bioavailability with uh, oral forms of vitamin C Mm -hmm. than if there's no flavonoids involved there. Uh, Also... uh, <clears throat> you have the release factor. Um, if um, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on, mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> you want vitamin C released over a period of time rather than all at once because you can't use a whole lot of vitamin C at one time.
0: Got it. And so coming back to Pauline's recommendations, uh-huh. um, what are his recommendations for vitamin C?
1: For uh, things like uh, the cold and the flu, he recommended a thousand milligram every hour, and um, they found that uh, vitamin C did seem to make a significant difference with cancer as well. And Abram Hoffer, uh, in his Abram Hoffer, used vitamin C to treat uh, schizophrenia. As he was treating a schizophrenia patients, he noticed that also the vitamin C. Seemed to be beneficial with cancer. People had had both schizophrenia and cancer as well. He mm. actually had a complete remission of one of his patients when he had him use vitamin C, had him use 40 grams or 40,000 milligrams a day. So um, those uh, recommendation, recommendations for vitamin C. Uh, showed themselves beneficial for cancer, but what was interesting in connection with this was that Cameron uh, was injecting vitamin C. They were injecting about 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C in cancer patients in order to get the results that they did. One of the things that they noticed was these patients that were end-stage and morphine was not even uh, dealing with the pain that they were experiencing they found that the vitamin C provided better pain relief than the morphine did. And they were also coming off of morphine without any withdrawal. Wow. And this led to uh, later work by Libby and Stone, uh, in which they um, began to use vitamin C to treat heroin addiction. And uh, what they did is they they combined uh, vitamins and minerals and protein, and high dose vitamin c and they were treating heroin addicts and maintained that many of the heroin addicts were coming off of heroin with no or minimal withdrawal years ago i had a young man come up to me after a meeting that i did he told me he'd uh, been a heroin addict from 17 years of age and he was uh, 46 or 47 at the time i talked to him and uh, he said he'd become a christian and he'd gone off heroin but he was on methadone he could not get off the methadone and so i shared with him all of the uh, papers that uh, Libyan stone had available on the use of vitamin c for heroin addiction and he started following the protocol of high dose vitamin c with protein and um the stress uh, pack that neolife has and uh, he came off the methadone. There was a little bit of uh, difficulty, but it wasn't bad. He became completely free of uh, drugs for the rest of his life.
0: And what was the brand of vitamin C that you uh, uh, per- prescribed to him?
1: Um, I believe uh, we used the uh, the perk vitamin C for the powdered C at that time.
0: P-E-R-Q-U-E. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's actually what, what you prescribed for me, too, which has been extremely yeah, helpful.
1: We, we do uh, two types of vitamin C. We do um, a powder where we need high potency. <clears throat> the problem with the powder is it washes through the body very fast. Uh, uh, Hilary Roberts and Steve Hickey uh, wrote a book called Ascorbate the Science of Vitamin C. And one of the things that they point out is that 80 to 90 percent of a high dose of vitamin E, uh, vitamin C can be washed out of the body. Whereas if you use a smaller dose, um, it doesn't wash out as fast. <clears throat> so when you're doing uh, something like a powder, you have to do multiple doses okay. in order to maintain a high blood level. And you can get very high intake with powders because it's so concentrated. A mm-hmm. teaspoon can be... Uh, Thirty-five hundred to four thousand milligrams in just a, a slightly rounded teaspoon. Um, <clears throat> the problem with vitamin C is uh, the half-life is only about thirty minutes. So those high dosage levels they just uh, drop very very fast. And this is a study. This is a problem with a lot of the studies on vitamin C is they administer vitamin C once a day. And you get only a fraction of the benefit that you would get if you do multiple doses or if mm-hmm. you do what's called threshold control or continuous release form of vitamin C. So we, for general supplementation, I usually recommend uh, a, a threshold control vitamin C. And we'll have people do anywhere from 500 to 1,000 milligrams uh, at least twice a day <clears throat> to maintain a high blood level. When we're trying to deal with a serious health problem, uh, we'll do the powdered C, and we do uh, much higher doses there and uh, multiple doses.
0: Wow, this has been extremely helpful.
1: Thank you, everybody,
0: for joining us in this episode of our podcast. Feel free to reach out with any questions at samson12.com. That's S-A-M-P-S-O-N-1-2.com. Okay, great. Until next time.